How many of you have ever bitten off more than you can chew? I know it's a phrase, but like you've actually bitten off more than you can chew, yeah? Um, it ever happened to you like in the worst setting, like in a restaurant maybe, um, you know, they don't have the paper napkins, but the cloth napkins, and you, you just, you take a big bite of meat, and you start chewing, and somewhere around the third chew, you're like, either I got to spit this thing out, or I'm going to die, because I cannot I can't process all that's in my mouth right now. Um, I don't know what you do in those situations. I typically, like, you know, what's that? Get the cloth napkin, spit it in there, wrap it up real good, and then, like, stuff it somewhere, right? And I just pray for the server who's going to clear the table and open it up in the back and go, ooh, they killed somebody, right? Um, it's just nasty. Maybe you've even you ever gotten gristle in your mouth? Like, you're, you're chewing meat, right? I don't know. Some, in our family, um, we have one person in our family who will go unnamed, but he will loves um, loves the fat on like he loves bacon fat and, he, and I like bacon fat too. But like even fat on steak, he just give it to him. He'll eat it. Um, I like fat to a point, but when you chew it and chew it and chew it, and and you don't have a napkin, have you ever had to spit it out into your hand? This is nasty, and I can't believe I'm starting a message like this. But you spit out in your hand, and then you like set it on the plate, and you try to like arrange green vegetables around it so nobody can see it. It's just nasty, right? So the reason I'm saying all this is because today um, we're in Luke chapter five, and we are literally running the risk of biting off more than we can chew in this passage of scripture. Okay, we're doing this series called True Story, um, and I'm going to take you through uh, like verses. 12 through 39. It's, it's the whole rest of chapter 5. There's a lot here. I don't want you to choke on it. So what I'm going to do is, because I'm nice, right? Huh, careful. Because I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this in four bite-sized pieces, okay? Four bite-sized pieces. We'll just call it four bites. So um, I don't usually tell you the title of the message, but today's four bites and a breath mint. It'll all make sense at the end. So um, four bites and a breath mint. But before we get started, I want to make sure that you understand really like what's the main point here? What's the big idea? What do I want you walking out of here with, okay? Because there's going to be, again, a lot to chew on. I don't want you to choke on it. I want to make sure you get the point, okay? So why did Luke write the Gospel of Luke. Uh, I, I'm asking rhetorically. I, I know that you know the answer is because you've been with us from the beginning. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but a man named Theophilus, who was a Gentile, came to Luke, also a Gentile, and said this. Look, there's a lot of stories out there about this guy named Jesus, and I'm not sure if they're true. So I want you, I'm going to pay your way. I'm going to take care of you. I want you to leave your, doc, your practice as a doctor. I want you to go investigate all the stories, sit down, interview people, whatever you got to do, write it on a scroll, chisel on a stone, whatever you got to do, bring it back, and let me know, is Jesus really who he says he is? And so what you, what you have in your Bibles as the Gospel of Luke, that is his report. Okay, now I want to point out to you, I don't know if you're a, how many of you are underliners and highlighters in the Bible? You draw stuff in the Bible. I, I'm, I'm in the margin all the time. I'm writing stuff all the time. So when I come across really important verses, I circle, I underline, I got crayons, whatever you got to do, draw pictures, whatever, like point to it like that. I'm going to show you four words in this passage that if you are that kind of person, I want you to go ahead and do that today. Like get a pen, circle these, okay? Did you, like, that's funny. I brought my biblical crayons with me. I'll be drawing in the Bible. No, if you got anything to mark it with, here's what I want you to do. Just go right now to Luke chapter 5. Verse 21, I'm just going to tell you right up front, like what I want you to be focused on today and everything else I'm going to tell you just supports this, okay? So Luke chapter 5, verse 21, the Pharisees asked a question in their mind. Now, we'll get to that later. They're thinking this in their mind, okay? And the first four words, I'm in the NIV, says this, who is this fellow? Now, you might have 
a southern translation that says, who is this dude, right? Um, who is this guy? Who is this man? Who is this Yahoo? I mean, whatever yours says, but mine is British, right? Who is this fellow, right? <laughs> I got the British version. So he says, who is this fellow? Now, what's interesting about that is, just circle those four words. Everything that happens in Luke chapter 5, all these bites that I'm going to give you, these four bites, everything that happens is to answer that question. Who is this fellow? And what's ironic is, that's the Pharisees, the religious leaders They're wondering who is Jesus, but they're looking for reasons to doubt who he is. And Theophilus asked the exact same question. He said, go find out who this guy is, and he's looking for reasons to believe in Jesus. Okay? I want to make sure you get that, because Jesus in this chapter is going to, like, flip a switch, open a door, make a turn, and the entire book of Luke is going to go from, isn't that nice, to, holy cow, did that just happen? And here's why. Because in this, in this chapter, Jesus is going to start to reveal who he really is. See, all we know about Jesus at this point is he was born of a virgin. Weird, right? Um, he was he got caught in the temple, like talking to all the, the Pharisees and all the religious leaders. He knew a lot of stuff. Huh, not many 12-year-olds do that. Kind of weird. And he heals some people. That's all we know to this point. But in this chapter, he's going to start to reveal why he does that, who he really is. And the Pharisees are going to see that, and they're going to hate it. And so there's this clash that's going to take place in this chapter that's going to continue the rest of the book of Luke, okay? So the question is, who is this fellow? The answer you're going to see here is he's God. Jesus is God. And because Jesus is God, he's going to bring this fresh approach, something that's never been seen, and you'll see it through these four bites, something that's never been seen. These guys and these religious leaders, they've never seen anything like it. And, and here's your big idea, okay? This is what they're going to see, and it's totally opposite of what they've known to this point. They're going to see that Jesus deals with sin in a way that heals the heart. Jesus deals with sin in a way that heals the heart. Now, I'll say that a couple times as we go through, but what you'll see is the Pharisees struggle with that because up to this point, they also dealt with sin. They had a certain way of dealing with sin, but they dealt with sin in a way that hardened the heart. Jesus brought a different approach, and that's what they're ultimately going to end up struggling with. I hope that you don't struggle with it, but it's new. It's different. It's something that we're not used to all the time, okay? So Jesus deals with sin in a way that heals the heart. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through like these these, um, four bites and a breath minute, okay? Four bites in Luke chapter 5, and and you're going to start to see what what I'm starting to see and appreciate the genius of Jesus and how he does that, how he pulls that off is genius, okay? Here's bite number one. Bite number one is um, Luke chapter five, it's verses 12 to 16. And, and if you've got a Bible that's got headers, it says the man with leprosy. So what I was gonna do today, because you know I'm a picture guy, right? I like to go on Google, find pictures, because you like pictures more than you like my words, I get it. And I was gonna show you all these pictures of leprosy, but then I, I chose not to, because as I Googled it, and I've got a pretty strong stomach, I was like, these pictures are nasty. They are, I mean, like, faces disfigured and and discolored and, like, people that are holding up their hands and all they have are knuckles. And it's just, I was just like, if I show these pictures, then no one's going to hear anything I have to say because they're going to just see this in their head the whole time. Because leprosy was horrible, okay? So bad that back in the day when Jesus is, is teaching, if you had leprosy, you had to actually walk down the road. You had to yell out the words unclean. 
So this is how you would introduce yourself to society. You're walking down the road and you're yelling out, unclean, 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 as if they couldn't figure that out, right? Like they're looking at you going, something ain't right about you. I wonder what it is. Oh, yeah, you're unclean. Like you could figure that out. You just see it. And so it allowed, like parents could grab their kids, like hide your wife, hide your kids, right? The whole thing. Like they grab them, get them out of the way, right? Because there's a leper coming. It's looking bad. And we, we read that and we go, I can't believe people would do that. But I'm going to tell you right now, like as much as I know you love Jesus, if a person with leprosy walked in that door, your first reaction would be like, shift this way, right? I mean, that would be your first reaction because it would be like, that's weird. I don't know what that thing on your face is, right? I don't know what's going on. Like, what if your body part falls off right in front of me? Like, it was just, it was just a horrible, horrible disease. And the funny thing was, like, now we kind of know what it is, but back then they didn't. And so what they did, they just said, look, that's unclean. And if you touch a leper, then you're unclean. It's like a weird game, right? You're unclean. I touch you. Now I'm unclean. Now touch me. You're unclean. Like this weird thing, right? So if you're unclean and you touch something that's unclean, then you're also unclean. And what I want you to see is bite number one, Jesus touches the unclean. This is not something that happened all the time back then. It says that when Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. So this was not early on. This was advanced stages, right? He didn't have like a, a thing that might have been a zit, but it really wasn't, right? He was covered with leprosy. He's yelling unclean, unclean. And when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground. First thing you got to see is this. A man who was unclean worshipped Jesus before anything else. He didn't worship Jesus after Jesus touched him and healed him. He worshipped Jesus before. Like, can you relate to that? You ever come to church? I know this never happens to y'all and you're in a bad mood. Never happens, right? You never get in the car at home and ride to church. And on the way to church, Jesus jumps out of your car because your family's so mad at each other, right? <laughs> Jesus is like, you're going to church, but I ain't going with you, right? I'm not going to go with you. And like you get to church and like you just put the smile on. But there's a million places you'd rather be than church. Come on, let's be real. That happens every week, right? Every, I mean, at least every other Sunday, right? It's to our credit that we still show up, right? And we still smile. And I'm the pastor and I have a family, so it happens with me too. And we come to church and we let that affect how we worship, if we even worship. And here's a man covered with leprosy, outcast by society, no friends. Think about this, never been touched. I mean, not even like fist pump, right? Never been touched. And in that condition, worshiped Jesus. I mean, that kind of puts me to shame a little bit. Right? I think I could probably worship Jesus in my condition a little bit better than I do. Because this man had nothing and he worshiped. He fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you're willing. He called him Lord. If you're willing, you can make me clean. And I love, I love verse 13. What a pivotal verse in the Bible. Jesus reached out his hand and what did he do? He touched the man. He touched the man. And then he said, I'm willing to be clean. But he touched him when he was unclean. He, this is Jesus, right? He could have said, poof, leprosy be gone, and he would have been totally clean, and he would have touched him, and it would have been all fine. But he touched him when he was unclean. And that was so unprecedented back then that it sent Jesus viral. Jesus became a YouTube sensation before they had YouTube. What would be called, like, YouTube? I don't know what it would have been called, right? <laughs> but he became, like, this viral sensation, right? And we see this in the Scripture. It says... Yet the news about him spread all the more 
All, even though he told this man, don't tell anyone, it says the news spread about him all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sickness. Bite number one, Jesus touches the unclean and it spreads, the word spreads about him. Here's bite number two. It happens right after that. Jesus rewards the undaunted, okay? Listen, you've got to see this. Up verse 17, one day as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem were sitting there. So let's just unpack that for a second. Let's talk about, first of all, who are Pharisees and who are teachers of the law? So these are the religious leaders of the day. And what we like to do now that we're really cool pastors is bash those guys all the time, right? Oh, they were stuffy and they were all this stuff. And, and they probably were. But in this day, they represented the people who were doing the best they could to try to be godly. Like they were trying, right? I mean, I know that they jacked the whole thing up, but they were at least trying. And so they had a certain way that you could be with God. And it had to do with like not only doing the laws that were in the Bible, but then they took the laws that were in the Bible and they added to those laws tons of more laws. Like, how many of you hate rules? Just quickly, I mean, you hate rules. I hate rules, right? Like just um, like I, we've got, you know, we got this, this card game at home. It's, like, um, it's called We Didn't Play Test This. Anyway, look it up. It's a great card game because there are no rules. Like literally, you have no idea what's going to happen. You just pick a card, do what it says, and it could be different the next game. I love that, right? But these guys hated that. They loved rules. They made so many rules that it was so hard to be holy. And so they, had, they were holy and everybody else wasn't, right? That's who, that's who we're talking about. These are the Pharisees, okay? They had a system they put together. And so they had heard about this man, Jesus, who had touched a leper, who had broken some of their rules. And so they heard about him, and they came from all over to hear this man. I don't think that they came inquisitively. Like, I just want to know more about Jesus. I think they came looking for evidence against him right? But they're in this place, okay? So it's packed. It's a house, and all these people are in there. There's, there's like Pharisees. Everybody's in there, and then there's like probably other people that aren't Pharisees. They're all in this room, and these four guys bring their friends. He's, he's paralyzed, and he can't walk, so they've got him on a mat. They bring him. They can't get him into the door because the door's blocked, right? And so they can't get him into the window because the window's blocked, and so they end up going up on the roof. They dig through the roof, and they lower their friend right down in front of Jesus. They were un. Daunted. Let me ask you this question. How many of you, if I was going to say, pick a word, just any word in the, in, in the English language, pick a word to describe how you are when it comes to bringing your friends to Jesus, would that word be undaunted? You're like, well, I don't know. I don't even know what it means. So let me tell you what it means. Undaunted. It means not intimidated or discouraged by difficulty, danger, or disappointment. Does that describe how you and I are when it comes to bringing our friends to Jesus? Or, <laughs> or, we, or are we daunted, right? Any difficulty keeps us from bringing our friends to Jesus. We go to bed on Saturday. We're like, I'm going to get up tomorrow, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to get my friend. I'm going to pick him up. I'm going to take him to the gathering. My friend loves the color orange. He's going to love the gathering, right? So we pick him up. We bring him. And then we wake up late, right? And we say to ourselves, like, to, just thinking to ourselves, I know this sounds unspiritual, if I, if I go get my friend, he, he's going to be asleep. I'm going to have to wake him up. God, he's going to be so mad. Um, I'm going to only get one cup of coffee instead of two. And God, I need three. Like we think, and so we don't go. We just come to church and we sit by ourselves. And we basically say this, ah, it's all cool. He can just go to hell. Right? I mean, that's a harsh way to look at it, but that's kind of what we're saying. 
And yet here's four people who were undaunted. They met every possible obstacle on the way to bringing their friend to Jesus, and they overcame every one of them to the point they actually dug through the ceiling. Like, can you imagine me talking right now, and I know, like, our ceiling has dandruff anyway. Like, you do that, and stuff falls down. But can you imagine me preaching right now, and all of a sudden, like, stuff just chunks to the ceiling are falling. And then somebody gets lowered down. And we'd be like, dude, what? <laughs> it's crazy. That's what these guys did. Undaunted. Undaunted. And what did Jesus do for them? He rewarded the undaunted. He rewarded the undaunted. This man and his friends were seen by Jesus. They were spoken to by Jesus. And they, this man was healed by Jesus. And his sins were forgiven by Jesus. He rewards the undaunted. And that's good news for us, right? So if we are undaunted in bringing people to Jesus, he will always reward that. He will always. You never have to worry. Well, if I bring my friend to Jesus, will he be let down? No. Jesus always rewards the undaunted, which leads to bite number three. This is the fun one, but the one that we probably hate the most, right? So bite number three, Jesus challenges the unwilling. Okay, so back to the Pharisees. Remember this, right? The Pharisees are in the house, and they're watching all that's going on. And so what, how does this play out with Jesus and the paralytic? When Jesus sees that man, what did he say to him? His first words were, get out of here, you're making a mess. No, Right? We talked about it last week. Big catches break things, right? So the roof is broken. This man's coming down. And the first thing that Jesus says to this man who he does not even know is this. He says, friend. I mean, like, do you get that? He says, friend. Your sins are forgiven. Now, he's paralyzed. He's on a mat. Friend, your sins are forgiven. And that statement is what prompted the Pharisees to ask the question that we talked about today. This is a big question we've got to answer. Who is this fellow? They heard him say, friend, your sins are forgiven. And they went, wait a second. Who is this fellow? And like sometimes we go, who is this fellow? And they were like, who is this fellow? Do you know people, do you know people that are like, huh? That's them. That's like, if you describe their personality, it's like, uh. That's Pharisees. Who is this fellow? Because they could pop Z's, they'd be doing that, right? That's like hit the whole deal, walk out. But that wasn't very pharisaical. They couldn't do that. Like they're, they're so against it already. Who is this fellow who dares to forgive sin? Only God can forgive sin. And so when Jesus said, friend, your sins are forgiven, those were like bombshells that went off. And it, it challenged the unwilling. And here's how the Pharisees were unwilling. They were unwilling to admit that Jesus might be God. They were unwilling to admit that a sinner like that man could or even should be acknowledged. And here's the most important one. They were unwilling to drop this religious system that they had created that actually kept that man from God. They set up an entire system where they could say, we're holy and you're not. And it kept that unclean, it kept them at a distance. So they never had to mix with the Pharisees. Man, if, if anything describes the American church today, that's got to be it, doesn't it? Like we set up these amazing systems that we think are awesome, but all those systems ever do is ensure that we stay with our tight Christian friends and the world stays out here on their way to hell. And Jesus blew that up when he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees struggled with that. The Pharisees were unwilling to even move to help this man get to Jesus. But the friends were undaunted by every obstacle in order to get him to Jesus. There's such, a, there's such a contrast here. Do you see it between what they were willing to do and what the Pharisees were unwilling to do? They were challenged by the fact that Jesus 
would forgive this man. And, and the way their system was set up, and it's, it's kind of weird, I know, but they, they believe this. If you were sick, it was because you had sin in your life. So when Jesus said, hey, your friend, friend, your sins are forgiven, their first thought is, and it was just a thought, recognize that, they're thinking, who is this man? Who is this fellow who can forgive sin? Only God can forgive sin. Now, I don't know what it would take if I, what if I could read your mind right now? What, what, would I, what would I be able to say that you're thinking right now? See, a lot of you just changed your thought immediately, didn't you? You went from, dude, shut up, I'm hungry, to this is the best sermon ever, right? <laughs> you just changed what you're thinking. But if I, could, if I just started calling out, you're thinking this, and you're thinking this, and you're thinking, and if I could actually do that and I could nail it and it was right, in your eyes, you would see me differently. You'd be like, I don't know what's going on, but something's gotten into Paul and he's different. Jesus read their minds. They got in the corner and were like this. And what they were thinking was what we read. Who is this fellow who thinks he can forgive sins? And then Jesus says out loud, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, who am I that I can forgive sin? Like that would be evidence enough for me. One, he might be God. And two, stop thinking, right? I mean, stop thinking now because he's going to call me out. So he knows that they're struggling with it. And so what he says to them is, so that you might know that I have the authority. And remember a couple weeks ago we talked about authority versus power. What you see here in the Pharisees is power. Like this, this dude's going to wreck our system. But Jesus is coming with authority. And he says, so that you might know that I have the authority to forgive sins. Hey, man, pick up your mat and walk. And the guy's like, me? Is this when I do it? Yeah, now. He picks it up and he walks out. So the Pharisees get an answer to the question. Who is this man that can forgive sins? He's God. And I think they got it. I think they understood it. The problem was that it just challenged their unwillingness to help people come to Jesus. And here's what it means. It's hard for us, I know, but listen to the statement. If we have unwilling hearts, then the truth about Jesus that heals others will always hurt us. That's hard to hear, isn't it? I have from time to time been in services in church where people were just experiencing a touch from God. I mean, not even crazy stuff, but you just knew. Like, you could see their face. They came in jacked up and stressed, and then, like, the guy got prayed for, and then their face just changes. They're just relief and peace. And I've walked out of services like that, got in the car and go, wait a second, God. Like, how come they got that and I got nothing? As if there's a problem with God, right? But when I get out of this bite, this third bite is that when that happens in my life, I'm the problem, right? It's because there's something unwilling in me to take a step towards God, to believe God, to break through whatever barrier I need to break through to get to God. The problem's not with God, it's with me. And, and I say that with humility, right? Because I know I'm talking to a church. And I know that in church are church people, right? And if there's any group on the face of the planet that tends to be unwilling to move to Jesus, it's sad to say it might be the church, right? Because we've got our system, right? We've got to figure it out. It needs to be this way. And Paul, you better preach this way and say these words and all that kind of stuff. And Jesus comes and says, mm, I'm going to do something different. And sometimes we're the ones that are unwilling to change. And if we're unwilling, I just think you'd know this, the words that I preach that might, God might use to bring freedom to somebody else can actually be the same words that keep you in bondage. And it's not because I have a problem preaching. It's not because God has a problem with his message. It's because our hearts are unwilling to move. That's really hard. So let's move on from that before you start throwing things at me, okay? <laughs> Bite number four. 
Bite number four, and, and it's the last one. Um, Jesus calls the unexpected. So let me just set this up for you. We know in Scripture, we're at the end of this, you know, Jesus heals the paralytic, and then we get this section that it says the calling of Levi. So what we know is this. Jesus forgives the man of his sins. He heals the paralytic. He walks out. The crowd is like, holy smokes, did you see that? They like got their phones up, video, they're going to put it on YouTube later, all that kind of stuff, right? So like they're checking all that out. They're amazed by it. Jesus walks out of that situation. Now, remember, in that house are two groups of people, right? One group is phones are out. They're videoing it. They're going to put it on the social media. And the other group is the Pharisees. And they're, how are they? They don't have their phones out, right? They're like this. They're ticked. They're ticked because they have a system of power that forces people to crawl to them to be deemed holy, clean, whatever. And this guy named Jesus is busting that up because he's coming with a different approach. He actually has the audacity to forgive people of their sins and claim to be God. So he's wrecking their system, right? So Jesus walks out of that situation where half the people love him and half the people hate him. And he says to himself, I think I'm going to call another disciple, right? So... Who does he call? He calls the first person that he sees that is most likely to add fuel to the fire of ticking off the religious people in the house. Because they can see this, right? He says, after this, he went out and saw a tax collector. And so I think he said this really loud to Levi, follow me. And all the Pharisees were like, I mean, if you could ever, like they wore dresses and robes. Like if you could ever eat your robe with your backside, they were eating the robe with the backside. They were so like, ah. And do you get the tension here? Because if you're a Pharisee and you have done your best to live your life according to like, I think it's over 600 laws, and you think you've done a pretty good job, and Jesus, who claims to be God, that's the guy that you've been trying to serve by being holy, by being all those laws, is putting a group together to change the world, don't you feel like you've earned that spot? I would. Like, dude, are you kidding me? That's a tax collector. Tax collector! Nobody likes tax collectors. They still don't. How do you feel about the IRS? Right? I mean, they didn't like tax collectors because tax collectors would cheat them. And I can guarantee you people that were in the house had been cheated by Levi. Pharisees had been cheated by Levi. And Jesus, who claims to be God, says to Levi, come follow me. And why did Jesus call Levi? Not because he was qualified, right? But because he knew the man's heart. What is our big idea today? Jesus deals with sin in a way that heals the heart. And so here's Levi, who's got sin in his life, obviously, or he's, he wouldn't be cheating people. And Jesus knows I can deal with that sin, and I can heal that heart in a way that will make that sin, that man full of sin, want to follow after me. And so Jesus knew when he called Levi and said, follow me, he knew that what would happen was, verse 28, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. It sounds like, a, like last, remember last week, what happened with the fishermen? They left everything and followed him. If Jesus stood on this platform right now, he would make the same call to every one of you. He would say, come, follow me. And some of you would leave everything and follow him, and some of you wouldn't. And the amazing thing is, sometimes which person picks which answer? Sometimes it's the most unexpected people that say, I'll leave it all behind, and I'll follow Jesus. And the ones that we would look at and go, oh, no. Yeah, definitely. She's following Jesus for sure. She's leaving it all behind. Sometimes they're the ones that are like this. Jesus calls the unexpected, and that's such good news. Because I don't know how you are, but I was unexpected. I'm the most surprised that I do what I do. I am evidence of the power of God. 
not of the brilliance of Paul, right? I'm, I was unexpected, and he called me. And if you're unexpected, the good news is he wants to call you as well. And the Pharisees saw that. They got that. They hated it, but they understood it. And so all those four bites, they all, they all are used by Luke to answer this question. Who is this fellow? His name is God. Because if he can forgive sins, and he did, then he's no ordinary man, right? He is God. And if he's God, then his approach was different than the Pharisees. Jesus deals with sin in a way that heals the heart. The Pharisees and the religious system that they built dealt with sin in a way that hardened the heart. And what's interesting about the last part of this passage is that the the question for the Pharisees changed. At first they were asking what question? Who is this? Who is this fellow, right? Or who is this man? Who is this dude? They were asking, who are you? And by the end of all this, they're not asking who he is anymore. Now they're asking, why do you do what you do the way you do it? Right? He, He said, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus said, because the healthy don't need a doctor, but the sick. And then they said, well, why, in, in verse 33, why did John's disciples fast and pray, and so do our disciples, but yours eat and drink? See, it's like, no longer who are you, but why do you do what you do the way you do it? Why is your approach different? And Jesus said this, and this is in the Greek, okay? His answer to them in the Greek was this, dude, you need a breath mint. It's in the Greek. Did you see it in your, oh, you don't have the Greek? You got an English translation. So your translation probably says something like, can we make like new wine into old wine skin, all kinds of stuff. But what he said was, dude, you need a breath mint. And here's why. Because the Pharisees, they said the right stuff. It just smelled bad. Have you ever, if you're married, woken up in the morning and your spouse rolls over to you and says, I love It's the right thing. But aren't you kind of like, dude, brush your teeth. And so they go brush your teeth. And then they tell you that they love you. And then you hug. What's the difference? It's not the words. It's the approach. It's, it's the freshness. And you know what Jesus said to the Pharisees? He said, I'm here to do a new thing. I'm here, I'm here to do something so new that you've never seen it. All you know in your religious system is that sin separates man from God. And you've used sin to separate men from you. But I'm here to do something new. And I'm going to heal the heart while I deal with sin. And, I, and I'm just saying, your system needs a breath mint because your religious system is stale. It's old and it smells nasty. So I have a breath mint. You know the shame of this? is that the Pharisees knew all that, they saw all that, they saw the power of a new system, and they still rejected it. It'd be like you, like you in bed saying to your spouse, uh, I don't care, I'm not going to go brush my teeth, and I'm going to say hello to you a lot more. Just, I'm going to be in your face. And then they fall over dead, right? It's, like, it's so stubborn when there's a better way, and we refuse that way. Look at the last verse of Luke chapter 5, and you'll see what I mean. Jesus is telling them, again, no one takes new wine and puts it into old wineskins because the old wineskins will break. And what we'll see going forward from this passage all the way through the end of this gospel is there becomes this real um, struggle, this tension, this fight between old versus new. And I don't mean in age. I just mean old system, new system. 
old religious system, we shall use our religion to separate the good people from all of the filthy bad people. And Jesus comes and says, there's only one good. All of you are bad. But I've come, breath mints in hand, right, to deal with your sin and heal your heart. I have new wine. I've got a new approach, a fresh approach that's going to change the world. And here's what happened when he got to the end of telling about the new wine. Last verse, verse 39, he says this. It's a weird verse. And no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says the old is better. You know what's sad? Jesus comes with new wine, and that described the Pharisees. You'll see this the rest of the time. Like there's going to be so many showdowns between him and the Pharisees. They are clinging with everything they've got to an old, stinky, smelly, dead system even when Jesus is offering them something new. Listen, Jesus was never afraid to call out sin. He just did it in a new way. He did it in a way that didn't label people, that didn't create an identity for them, that they were stuck in a certain way. That's what the old system did. But the new approach that Jesus had was he was able to deal with sin and heal the heart at the same time. The old way beat up the sinner and used their sinfulness to keep them separated from God. The new way dealt with sin in a way that healed the heart. And what I'm finding is only Jesus, only the Son of God can do that. And that's what we need more than anything, is for him to use us, to speak through us to a culture that is jacked up with sin, but to speak to them in a way that deals with that sin and allows them to heal their heart at the same time. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your grace to us. I thank you for... Jesus and his new approach. I thank you that even when he came with a new approach, God, and and it's amazing how we're going to see. I mean, he just really, really ticks off these religious leaders. And and it's so easy to, to point at them and talk about how bad they are. But the truth of the matter is, God, if we're honest, there's there's so much of that in us. There's so much Pharisee in me, God. And so my prayer for me first and for our church is that you would never find in us an unwillingness to change and embrace the new that you're bringing. All that requires is the answer to the question, who is this man? And when the answer to that question is, he's God, nothing else matters. We want to follow you. We want to do what Levi did, leave everything behind and follow you. But we want the fact that you called us to be the greatest witness to the world of who you are. That, that us following you would just point all the attention to you. We thank you, God, that you have a way of dealing with our sin in a way that heals our hearts and doesn't harden them. That draws us to you like we're drawn to people with fresh breath and doesn't repulse us from you like we are repulsed by bad breath. And your truth, your word, your approach, your fresh approach is the breath that we need. And we thank you for it, God. And just before I say amen while your eyes are closed, if you're here this morning and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, the gospel is a very clear thing to understand. We jacked our lives up because of sin. This is what Jesus came into the world to deal with. We've just talked about how he dealt with sin. He wants to look at you just like he looked at that paralytic and say your sins are forgiven. He calls you friend this morning. That's the God that we serve. That's the Jesus that we follow. 
And if you've never made a decision to receive that personally, to say, you know what, I get that Jesus died for the sins of the world, but he died for my sins, and I want to receive that today. I want to make a decision to follow him today. Then this morning's your morning. I just want you to raise your hand and say, that's me. I should pray for me. I want, to, I want to make that decision this morning. Anybody here this morning, you'd say, that's you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Let's pray right now. Can we do that? For those two hands. Lord, we thank you so much um, for what you're doing in this place right now. We thank you for how your gospel saves us, how it's nothing we do. It's everything that you've done. I thank you that even today, as we've read through this passage in Luke chapter 5, you have proven it again, that you deal with our sin in a way that makes us actually want to raise our hand in the air and say, yes, even though Jesus dealt with my sin and I know that I failed, he has healed my heart and I want to follow him. And that's evidence, God, of, of this genius approach that you have towards people that we so want to emulate. We thank you, God, that today our, our family has grown because of this service. And, and I just pray over this house as we walk out today. Um, whether we're planted members here at the gathering, this is our very first time here. All of us were gathered here today to hear this specific word because you want us to hear it. And so I just pray that as we head out this, today, God, that this week we would, we would have moments when we remember breath mint, breath mint. Yes, there's a new approach. We can deal with sin in a way that heals the heart and that we would have opportunity to speak life into people, God, as they struggle with things in their lives and that ultimately it would draw them to you. We thank you, God, for being with us this morning. In your name, Jesus, amen.